Hello, and welcome to Moving Minnesota Forward. I am your host, Angel Livis, and this show is all about how we can move Minnesota forward by educating voters on the issues relevant to the Black women and men in Minnesota. Sponsored by John S. and James L. Knight Foundation and produced by Visibility Matters. Well, today, we have the pleasure of hearing from one of the four Black members of the House of Representatives for Minnesota. For the past few episodes, we have been sharing content from the Minnesota Moving Forward panel, which has been comprised of Black leaders of Minnesota. However, today, moderator Meredith Moore introduces us to Minnesota State Representative Ruth Richardson. Take a listen. We have State Representative Ruth Richardson. She sits on the Commerce, Education, Finance, Transportation, Finance, and Policy Division Committee. She's also the CEO of Wayside Recovery Center, a nationally recognized nonprofit treatment facility for women with substance abuse disorders and co-occurring mental health issues. Prior to this role, Ruth served as the Director of Programs and National Strategic Initiatives for Proof Alliance and served as Deputy Director of Human Rights and Equal Economic Opportunity for the City of St. Paul. Ruth is a graduate of University of Minnesota and William Mitchell College of Law. I met Ruth uh, when I was promoting BET's Finding Justice. When they came into the community, Marcus was one of the panel members, um, but Ruth is not only my state representative, but one of what, Ruth, four Black electeds? Four is right? Uh, yeah, uh, so yes, in the Minnesota House, out of 134, there are four of us, uh, two uh, African-Americans, myself and Rena Moran, and uh, Representative Noor and Hassan, who, um, are, you know, who are refugees from Somalia. So I want to thank you. I know you are in transit. I want to thank you for making the time. I want to thank you for your service, uh, because I'm always talking to Ruth about how difficult this job is and what a full-time 24-7, particularly now when you have a community in crisis, even though um, Mendota Heights, Egan, Invergrove Heights have not been directly impacted, I think all of our entire state is feeling the uh, shock waves of what is happening. So my question for you, Ruth, in addition to commenting on what has already been covered, but specifically given your role in the legislature advocating for us in the greater state of Minnesota, which I think a lot of us don't think about when we're talking about investing in Minneapolis and in North, there's a bigger state. So Ruth, tell us, how can we support our leaders? You know, that is a really uh, important question. And one of the things I just wanted to start off by talking about how it feels to be the only one. Uh, to be the only one at the table bringing uh, perspective. And I think that that's a really important conversation uh, to have because what so often happens within our communities is that you have uh, individuals who are being pulled in so many different directions because you're trying to be the only one at all of the tables. And I mean, just even listening to all of the backgrounds of today's panelists, right? We can't just have one job within our community, yeah. right? We have to have multiple jobs. Uh, some we're getting paid for, some we're not getting paid for. Amen, somebody. And, and so I think it's really important for us to name that and talk mm -hmm. about that because it has a, a, a huge impact on A, our ability to be effective 
And it also has a huge impact on our health as well, mm -hmm. as we are being pulled in so many directions. And there are times like this, um, in the wake of George Floyd's murder, where I literally feel the years being shaved off of my life within this space, because you can feel the trauma coursing through your veins. You can feel that heaviness. Um, and, and with that, we know that what happened with Mr. Floyd is not new. We know that this is a legacy of 400 years of oppression within this country. And so part of this um, conversation around trauma, I think is very important for our, our, black, our black leaders because we are forced to be at so many tables and always afraid to miss being at a table because what's going to happen if I'm not there to speak up? Um, what's going to happen if I'm not there and decisions are made and that is having a uh, incredible impact uh, on us and I think we need to uh, we need to name that and we also need to move past the space of where we only need one of us at a table right <laughs> we have to change that narrative uh, in terms of really being able to uh, build more relationships and build more community. And those are the really two of the big themes that I was picking up on um, with, uh, with the other panelists, the need for relationships and the need for uh, meaningful engagement with communities, the payroll protection uh, loan program, which as we all saw that play out, was a huge debacle when it came to uh, companies that were owned by, uh, uh, by Black individuals. And in particular, Black women were yes. largely left out of the first round of payroll uh, protection loans. And what was so interesting is as you began to sort of dig in and, and look into who got a loan and who didn't get a loan, um, so much of it was about uh, who had pre-existing relationships, who had the most money in the bank, right? Yep. Because people begin to prioritize by relationships. If I know you, I'm going to prioritize you. If you got, if I know you and you have a lot of money in the bank, then we're going to move you to the top. And when you begin to think about that from an equity perspective, what that really should have been looking at like is who needs this money most? Yeah. That should have been the priority piece because in, instead what we saw is places like Potbelly, you know, getting $10 million. We saw hotels applying for multiple loans across multiple uh, different sites and getting millions of dollars in loans. And everyone who passed the payroll protection loan, I hope that they would say that was not the intention of this loan, but that was the outcome. And so mm -hmm. really knowing that within the way our systems have been built, the outcome, the default outcome for our systems is inequity. Mm -hmm. And so that brings us back to the point as leaders as to why we need to be um, at those at those tables. And in terms of being able to support so many of us that are at so many tables, like all the panelists that are here, like you and all of the things that um, uh, are happening as well, is one, being able to show up. You know, 
conversations like this, I think, are very important to be able to um, talk about what the issues are, but also to be able to move beyond admiring the issues and talking about the issues to actually setting up these are the strategic steps that we are going to take after this conversation. And I think we are at a flashpoint in terms of our policy. And I think that we have an opportunity to take advantage of this situation that has been literally keeping us from breathing for centuries, as uh, Reverend Al Sharpton talked about. And this is the point of which we need to demand a complete systematic overhaul. And as it relates to our, uh, our businesses, we know that every year the state contracts out millions and millions of dollars. Hmm. Who's in line to get those? Who gets dollars without having to apply? Who gets direct appropriations? Um, when we think about our RFP processes, they are more focused on who's better at filling out paperwork than who's meaningfully engaged in working within communities. And this is the point of when us as leaders, we need all hands on deck to put pressure on all of the different points within our system that need the pressure to not rebuild our systems, to transform our mm. systems. I love that, Ruth. You said so much in there, and I want to make sure that we all got all of it because, first of all, this is why you're my state representative. Amen. Ruth Richardson for House. But <laughs> you said in there, firstly, about as leaders, as, as leaders of color in this community, we are being tasked at being at more tables than we have time. And so that leads to being less effective. That leads to health issues. That leads to trauma on a whole nother level because you're constantly dealing with these things and often then do not have the time for important things like rest and caring for yourself and your mental health and having that space. So I, I want to ask you, what is it that we can do to support those leaders that are overextended? Yeah, and, and it's a really good question because it's one that I struggle with personally, and I'm assuming that everyone on this call hearing everything everyone uh, is doing and involved in, um, I think the struggle is real for all of us on, on, on this call. And I will just, I will shout you out because you have been um, a great uh, inspiration for me to get out and take a walk and to, um, to actually be able to turn off for a moment because with COVID, uh, with everything that's been going on, it has just sort of felt like a 24 seven uh, nightmare for lack of a better word. And so um, sometimes you need that, you need that person, you need that ally, you need that friend who can say, you know what, your work is going to be there when you get back. Amen. <laughs> you need to, you need to, uh, you need to go take a walk. You need to take a break. You need to do that. So I, I uh, appreciate you for, uh, for that. Um, I think there's also uh, a great opportunity, and I was really excited to see uh, recently with the candidate filings. I think there's 26 Black women that are currently running for office across the state what? of Minnesota for everything, uh, including city council. Uh, they're running for school board. Um, they are running for county commissioner, uh, state representative, and state uh, uh, senator. And so 
really, and even Congress, there, there are folks that are running for Congress as well. And so um, I've never seen anything like this because when I was running, it was like, okay, there's me, you know, there's Rena, <laughs> you know, you know, there's Hodan over there um, as well. And so um, I think that we have an opportunity to really build a stronger network of elected uh, leaders. So I think that's part of it. Part of it is moving outside your comfort zone and running for office. And I will say, I was never a person who thought I would run for office. This was not, this was not some well-planned out dream. I like to tell people I am an accidental politician, but I will say this, we are all going to have to do things outside of our comfort zone and running for office was literally one of the most uncomfortable things that I've ever done in my entire life. Um, but it was done because we know that if we are going to have any chance of transforming our systems, it is going to take a lot of being uncomfortable within that space. So that is one encouragement that I will throw out there. And for anyone who hesitates to run for office and anyone who says, um, am I qualified? Do I have the right background? I will tell you what qualifies you to run for office. And it is not a degree and it is not a job title. It is your life experience. Mm. The life experience that you have and that perspective that you are able to bring to the table to put a real life face on the decisions that we are making that are going to impact people's lives. That is the, that's the, that's the, that's the litmus test for running for office. So if you've struggled, if you've struggled to pay a light bill, you should run for office. If you're struggling to pay your rent, you should run for office. If you are having a difficult time, like finding employment, all of those things, you are the person that should run for office because that's the voice that I wanna have on the house floor because I know that person if they are going to be looking out for individuals that are experiencing those barriers, everyone's going to do better because they are going to be looking at ensuring that um, uh, from an equity perspective that we are doing the most for individuals who are facing the most uh, challenges and the most barriers within our community. I love it, Ruth. Every time I talk to you, you try to make me want to run for office. I've been telling you. <laughs> I love it. But I love it because you put it out there for more than just me. I think you said two things there and, and I want to encourage it because again, as a leadership coach, I'm always telling my clients, you know, you are worth your time. You have to participate in your own rescue. And I know from my personal experience that all too often I traded in doing work for my health, you know, and so I, instead of going to the doctor, I put in more hours. And at the end of the day, I ended up blind on the floor. I mean, so it's, it is a very real thing. And so what I heard you saying, there were a couple of things that we can do. One, we can identify and support with whatever our gifts, talents, and treasures are, these 26 black women and help them come together. And I think Marcus, Raisha, we are all a part of, of hosting them and welcoming them and connecting them with those resources. I always hear, and I'm a big proponent of go out and vote, vote for these people. It's now that they've run, we have to show up at the ballots and support them. And even after we support them, I have gained so much from having a relationship with you. I mean, I got to go to the state of the state, which I would have never gone to. And it gave me such a great perspective of what it feels like for you to be the only in not only these pomp and circumstance situations, but in real life, as you're out there and advocating for us. 
And three, I heard you say something that was equally important, which is that we have to be aware that everybody is doing too much. And so whatever it is, whatever you are doing, we need to know what you're doing. We need to know how we can support you, but we also need to be connected so that we can all come together and make sure that we're all rowing in the same way down the river. Is that fair? I, I, think that's a, I think that's a fair assessment. And what it all comes back to is relationships and community, which is all we've been talking about for the time that we've been on this call. I love it. I love it. So Ruth, before we bring back uh, Marcus and Raisha, my next question is going to be, you brought it up. You know, I am all about productivity. My pet peeve is dealing with people who are stuck and don't want to get unstuck. So for the people here who everybody on this call and everybody who will hear it, they are a leader in their own right, either in their company, in their community, in their family. So I want you to tell us what is one action that the audience can take today to help us to move forward as Minnesota? Sure. So um, if I have to boil it down to one, uh, because, you know, you always have a list of things that you want to be able to ask people to do. Um, but one thing that I know that I'm going to be doing, and I would love to have the support of the community uh, behind me, is as a state, we need to uh, recognize and identify racism as the public health crisis it is. And when you think about our government's response to COVID here in Minnesota, when that was identified as a state of emergency for us, we dropped everything, right? Because people were dying. We dropped absolutely everything and said, we're only going to focus on COVID. We are only going to focus on ensuring that um, we are preventing this and that we have uh, what we need to treat people and we wanna make sure we have enough PPE. Like we wanna do all of these things because it was such a huge public health crisis. Well, let's um, put the spotlight on racism and the public health crisis that that is. And not just from the perspective of police brutality, because we've seen the videos of George um, Floyd. We've seen the videos of Philando Castile. We've seen, we've seen that racism play out in real time on camera where people couldn't hide it anymore. But let's not forget about the fact that Black women are three to four times more likely to die during pregnancy than white women. And that's regardless of education, income, um, you can have the best insurance in the world, you can have the best doctor in the world, you could be Beyonce, you could be Hello. Serena Williams, and you could literally be on your deathbed, mm -hmm. because within this country, racism is killing Black women. And when you think about the fact that 60% of those deaths are preventable, we have the ability to do something about this. Black babies are twice as likely to die before their, their first birthday. That to me is also uh, a crisis that we should be addressing. Let's not forget about all of the educational disparities. Let's not forget that uh, our preschool students are three times more likely to be suspended than kids K through 12. Let's not forget that Black students are eight times more likely to be suspended than white students. And so as we begin to move forward 
right? Because that's what everyone is saying. We need to move forward. We need to find solutions. We need to find strategies. We need to, as a state and as a country, we need to, we need to say it. We need to mm -hmm. say that the racism that is at the core of our systems is killing us. And that is a public health crisis. And even further on, it's not just racism, anti-blackness mm -hmm. is killing us as well. Oof. And so that I think is um, an opportunity for us, especially in the midst of a pandemic, because if we can drop everything for COVID, we can drop everything for our communities who are dying at disproportionate rates of everything from heart disease to diabetes. I love it, Ruth. I tell you, you, I think that I am like inspired and inspiring, but girl, every time you give me, I'm like, don't get me started. I'll cuss everybody out. You're absolutely <laughs> right. Because here's the thing. And I'm going to say this for everybody who's in one of these membership organizations. I'm so sick and tired of talking about socials and fundraisers and everything else. When you're absolutely right. We're, we've been in a crisis. We've been in a crisis. And when I heard you say, Ruth, because you always get me fired up is, it starts with saying it and not being the person who's saying, oh, no, it's not that bad. Oh, no, it's not that. Oh, no, I'm fine. Nobody's fine. We're all affected wherever it is in the journey. I mean, you took us from childbirth through preschool. This, I think what we're highlighting here is police brutality. Obama said that. This is police brutality. This is a mayor level issue. You take them what you need to do. You change that. But let's not lose sight of the fact that at every point in the juncture, from what Raisha said with getting money as a small business, what Marcus is talking about and how we come together as a community and have the infrastructure, we got more problems and we got solutions. And the first problem we have is that we're not willing to say, damn it, we got a problem here. We have a crisis. And so I love it. I love you. I'm standing behind you. And what I heard you say is you need us as organizations, not only to stand behind our elected officials when you stand up and say, we're in a damn crisis, but to also help get the word out so that we can be universal because this is not a Minneapolis problem. This is not a St. Paul problem. This ain't a Northside problem. This is a United States of America problem. Amen, somebody. Did I get it right, Ruth? Am I tracking with you, sister? Uh, you got it absolutely right. And this is not a week-long problem as well because for so many people who, who have become woke in the last seven days, Woo! please know. Whoa. that this has been going on for 400 years within our country. Oh. Oh. 400 years. This is not about a week. This is not about a year. This is not about a decade. This is about centuries. That part, that part, that part. Okay, Ruth, I know that you have many, many places to go. I want to thank you for taking the time. I, I am so fortunate that everybody gets to see why I am so proud and excited and willing to pay my property taxes here in Mendota Heights because I have representation like Ruth Richardson. So, you know, I always say vote Ruth for house. But I think the other point there is that let's all find those 26 other black women, encourage them and find the courage within ourselves if we cannot run to figure out how can we help those that have the courage to stand up and fight for us at the state legislature, amen? Because out of what, 134? Did I get my civics right? 134 yes. representatives? Mm -hmm. Yeah, out of 134, we have four. So there's no reason that you can't fund them, that you can't volunteer with them, that you can't just personally call them up and say, hey, sister, how can I help you? Because you are helping all of us.
So thank you, Ruth, and thank you for giving us the action we can have, which is wherever we are in the system, we can say it. This is a public health crisis. It's beyond police brutality. It's beyond one sector. The fact that it's hitting us in every sector means that racism is a public health crisis. And we've now seen that as a country, we know exactly what the hell to do in a public health crisis. So thank you, Ruth. I think it's safe to say that constituents of Representative Richardson's districts are in great hands. I'd also be remiss not to highlight that Representative Richardson's resolution declaring racism as a public health crisis recently passed in the House of Representatives in the state of Minnesota. So, I mean, round of applause. So once again, we are honored to have had her join us to share what efforts she has been pushing for and to see them manifest. It's a huge step toward unlocking funding and ensuring the conversation about the impact of racism on economic mobility, education, health, housing, and policing is a priority in this election and beyond. All right, y'all, that is our show for today. As always, it's our hope that you've heard something new that you believe is worth sharing. So please share Moving Minnesota Forward with your friends and your family. And if you personally haven't already subscribed, we'd love to know that our programming is being heard and loved by someone. A special thank you to John S. and James L. Knight Foundation for supporting this podcast, which is a production of Visibility Matters. To learn more about our services, please visit visibilitymatters.us and be sure to connect with us on our social platforms at visibilitymatters.us. All right, we look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, I'm Angel Wyvis, signing off.